chapter 5, I believe this morning that heaven has touched the church in worship. I believe the church has also touched heaven. It's not like Vance Havner used to complain about some worship services starting at 11 o'clock sharp and ending at 12 o'clock dull. I don't believe we'll have that around here. What I will say to you is that there are many that do desire a flash and a pop and a sizzle in worship, but they expect to rush into worship and experience that. And I'll say to you that that's not what happens. Those who experience a thrill on a Sunday are precisely those who prepared for it since the Monday before. In other words, there's an awful lot of grunt work that goes into effective worship. In fact, effective Bible teaching, effective evangelism, effective discipleship. Every area of Christian living and ministry involves some very plain grunt work. And in order for next Sunday, October the 19th, to be the kind of Sunday that we anticipate and pray for, there will have to be an awful lot of grunt work to go into it. In fact, I'm, I'm asking us to do a, a number of things, but it reminds me of the man who had a ruby. And he showed it to a couple of young men, and they were impressed, and he said, I want to show you a couple of other stones that make far more money than this ruby ever could. And he took them to his mill, and he showed them a couple of millstones that grind corn and grind wheat. He said, those are far more valuable than this ruby. Well, the ruby had uh, beauty, and the ruby had shine. The millstone is just very unattractive, and the millstone is really not very impressive. The same is true when it comes to having a great Sunday. There's an awful lot of preparation that must go in to it. And that's not only true about this next Sunday, that's true for every Sunday. And this morning, I'd like to help make every one of your Sundays full of power and energy and a manifestation of the power, presence, and glory of Almighty God in your life. For this next coming Sunday, the kind of grunt work we'll need to begin to observe, even following worship and Monday and every day after, will involve intentional preparation in this week. Pray desperately and urgently for 15 who need Jesus Christ as Savior. In fact, I want you to pray as desperately and as energetically as someone whose child is in the emergency room. Because the greater crisis is experienced when people do not know Jesus as Savior. Pray desperately and urgently. Then set a goal for how many people you will invite the next Sunday. Then invite all you can. In fact, we're going to make it easy for you. We have uh, placed uh, near the doors as you exit this morning handbills, handouts, 15, packaged in 15, for the 15 on your prayer list. If you'll take those and distribute those far and wide, we would appreciate it. If for some reason you don't receive one and there aren't enough left after the service, let us know and we'll make some available to you. Then attend each event. This next Sunday is four events in one day, starting with Sunday school at 9.15, worship at 10.30, key to discipline conference at 5 o'clock, then evening worship at 6. Now at the end of the service, I'm going to offer the invitation in two stages. The first stage will involve inviting you if you need to receive Christ or become part of Beach Haven to come. And the second stage is if you will commit yourself to preparing for next Sunday, I want you to join me at the altar and we'll pray together and commit ourselves to God. In Ephesians chapter 5, 
beginning in verse number 15, Paul teaches the Ephesians to value preparation. Beginning in verse number 15, he says there, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You can have a great Sunday every Sunday when you engage in the grunt work of preparation beginning the Monday before. Well, what grunt work do I need to engage in to experience a great Sunday? Well, there are several items found in the text. First, schedule your time by God's wisdom. Too often we walk into worship breathless. Too often we walk into worship exhausted. It reminds me of the American explorer that went to a nation in Africa and he wanted to do some exploring and he was very urgent about accomplishing his objective and getting through as quickly as he could. He hired some to carry his equipment, some local natives to do so. And the first day of their journey, he pursed very hard and they, uh, they went far many uh, more miles than what he anticipated. But the next morning they awoke and the nationals wouldn't get up. They just sat. And he asked uh, helpers, please explain this behavior. Why won't they get up and go again? We had a great first day. And one went to speak to him and he came back and translated, they would not get up and move another inch until their souls caught up with them. And that's too often how we approach worship. The truth is we approach Sunday oftentimes breathless and exhausted. And I want to help you with that this morning. In fact, Paul remedies this by commanding and explaining the cost and the cause of scheduling our time by God's wisdom. Look at the command first in verse number 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly is an old English word, which means to be very careful. Walk is a word that is a metaphor for live. We walk through life. Now, too many are sprinting. And they find themselves exhausted and breathless. But he says here, walk through life and do so carefully as a wise person and not as someone who is foolish. This is someone who is very careful how he or she schedules time. In other words, when it comes to scheduling our time, we can be just as smart as God is. We can have the smarts and the insight of God. And that's what it means to have his wisdom. In other words, we're not like uh, those who simply watch the clock at the end of the day waiting for time to depart when the day's over. They call them clock roaches in some offices. In other words, God commands us to involve His intelligence and His smarts when it comes to scheduling our time. We can be time-wise as God is. Now this implies there are an awful lot of time wasters. In fact, there are going to be some choices that we must make if we're going to schedule our time by God's wisdom. And that leads me to the second item here, not only the command, but also the cause. He said, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Redeeming the time. The word redeem comes from the marketplace. And it meant to purchase, to set something free. And so you pay a price to free up some time. If you're going to have a great Sunday, you've got to prepare 
the week and at least the Saturday before, and you're not probably going to do that without a cost. Something's going to have to go. You'll have to sacrifice something. Pay a price to liberate some time because you simply can't do everything and be ready for Sunday. And so that's the command, and then there is the cause, uh, the cost, and then there's the cost. The days are evil. The days, even in the first century, were evil. Imagine what they are today. And with the days being evil, we need a meaningful Sunday morning worship experience or we'll not be able to handle Monday through Saturday. By the way, that's why traditionally Baptists have done Wednesday evening worship services. Did you all know we meet on Wednesday night? I just want to make sure. There's room. Okay? And if you're not providentially hindered, we sure do need you here. In fact, you need to be here because the days are evil. Evil never takes a holiday or vacation. It is relentless, it is persistent, and it is seeking to infiltrate your soul and your life. And so we must prepare for a great Sunday. Um, so the way that we schedule our time must correspond to the reality we have in front of us. When it grows cold, we dress in a way that corresponds to the cold. We start wearing layers. That's what we do. When we gain weight, we begin to eat and exercise in a way that corresponds to the weight gain. When we have an exam, we study in a way that corresponds to the upcoming exam. We take 30 minutes before class and we cram. That's exactly what we do. In other words, we seek to correspond with our environment, and the same is true when it comes to our own environment. If we're going to have the kind of service when we meet together on Wednesdays and Sundays, we've got to prepare for them and prepare. So I want to urge us now, I want to urge us now to consider preparing for our worship. And I want to say to you, that's a wise thing to do if you don't know Christ as Savior. If you're not absolutely certain that Christ is in your life and that He's number one, may I encourage you to prepare in a way that corresponds to your soul as the Scripture defines it. And that is this morning, repent and place faith in Christ. And that's why in our church, every Sunday, we give friends like you the opportunity to repent and come to Jesus Christ as Savior. So, let me ask you this question. If God had your week, this week, approach you, how would God use his time? What would he do with his prayer life? What would he do with the 15 people that you've listed that you're praying for? What would he do with your Sunday school enrollment and those that are in your class? What would he do on the Saturday before? What would he do with your contact opportunities? What would he do with handbills like this to distribute? What would he do with the devotional life? So for this Sunday, may I encourage you, have everything ready and prepared by 6 p.m. on Saturday. Clothing, the meals, everything that will go into Sunday, have it ready at least by Saturday, if you can. Some of you are providentially hindered. You can't do that. I certainly understand that. But I think that's a marvelous goal for which to shoot. So the first thing is, schedule your time according to God's wisdom. But there's a second thing in the text, and that is submit your will to God's will. Chapter 5, verse 17. Do not be unwise, not knowing God's will. 
Let me read it again. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the implication then is that we will do it. A couple of things about God's will that surface from this text. One is, God's will is the possible way. In other words, it is entirely possible to do the will of God. In other words, it is entirely possible to live your life from this point forward the way Jesus would if he were in your shoes. Now, I don't know about you, but for some of you that are in an accident looking for some place to happen, this is good news, and that's good news for me as well. I need God's will for every decision that comes my way. So the implication in this commandment is that you can do God's will. In other words, you can act according to God's smarts, His desire, and His pleasure with every decision that you make. Now, I don't think God is too terribly concerned about the color of socks that you wear. I'm not talking about that. But the human interaction and the interaction that you have with Him and the decisions that you make in life, I think that God is very interested in that. It is entirely possible to make the decisions God wants you to make. It is the possible way. But then Paul says in verse 17, it's not only possible, it's prudent. It's the wisest way. Now make no mistake about it. Though God has a will, there are plenty of other alternatives out there as well. There are many. But I want to say to you, no one excels God in wisdom. There is no one better than Him. There is not a plan better for your life and your week than the one that God has designed for you. He is the best. Now, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to live a life to where you never have to say, I'm sorry? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to live a life where you never had to say, I made a mistake. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live a life where you never shed tears over your own behavior? There has been a life lived that way. And if you know Christ is Savior, He lives within you, and He has given you access to His heart and mind. In fact, Paul goes so far to say in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We have access to the very thinking processes and the insight and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. That's good news. I don't know if you're in the position where you have to make decisions. It's a wonderful thing to have insight like Jesus had. Now, I don't always have it because I don't always seek it or prioritize it, but it's there. And Jesus Christ can guide and direct the life willing to be led. So there are many alternatives out there, but God makes His will available, and it's the best of all. So when we approach worship, we've got to approach entirely sincere, surrendered to the will of God. We don't need to be like the little boy who was standing up in the back seat as mom drove along, and she warned him to sit down in his car seat. And finally, After several warnings, she pulled off the side of the road. She got out. She opened his door. She picked him up firmly, sat him down, and buckled him in, and he was still defiant. And she drove down the road, and he said, Mama, I want to let you know, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. It's entirely possible to come to worship in the same spirit. Our hearts and minds conspire so much against us and create so much mischief in the soul. 
that unless we intentionally surrender to the will of God before worship, it'll be very difficult to do so otherwise. We don't drift into God's will. We drift away from it. And so we must intentionally, by design, purposefully surrender our wills to God before worship. And may I suggest you do that sometime on Saturday. In fact, I'd suggest before your quiet time, you begin by surrendering, surrendering to God's will. Cry out like the Lord Jesus did, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And do with your will what the Romans did to the body of Jesus and die to it and crucify it. So those who experience great Sundays are those who before worship have surrendered to God's will beforehand. They're much like Richard Baxter, the Puritan, who when signing books would sign them, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, when thou wilt. May I ask you, if you had a will surrendered to God today, what would you do with next Sunday, October the 19th? What would you do with your prayer life when it comes to those who worry you spiritually? What would you do if surrendered to the will of God with the four events in one Sunday? And what would you do with your Sunday school enrollment? And what would you do with contacts and this community if surrendered to the will of God? Well, we would do precisely what Jesus would do if he were in our shoes. So to prepare for Sunday, submit your will to God's will. But there, there's a third thing in the text. And that is to prepare for Sunday saturate your heart with God's Spirit. Now, this is what Paul talks about here in verse 18 to verse 21. And this is a remarkable thing. He promises here the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised in John 14, 17 something similar. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you. That was good enough, but he had a contrast. I will not leave you as orphans, is what he said. This is a remarkable thing about Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a remarkable thing when you compare him to the promises or the lack thereof of other world religion leaders. I must make very clear to you, there is no other God, there is no other world religion leader besides Jesus Christ who promises to walk with his people. This is a unique promise of the Christian faith, falling from the lips of the Savior, and it's precisely the design of God from the very beginning. We are created to walk with the King and to serve Him in His kingdom. And He goes with us every step of the way, comforting in staggering sorrows, encouraging with uh, staggering need, forgiving with staggering guilt. This is what He does. Muhammad has never made that promise. None of the Buddhas have ever made that promise. The 300 million deities of Hinduism have never made that promise. He says, I will go with you. The people of God must not walk alone. They don't have to. Jesus Christ will walk with them, and he promises to do that by his Spirit. And this is what Paul indicates in verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Filling is a metaphor here. The disciples at one time were filled with joy. Another time they were filled with sorrow. Paul actually contrasts it with intoxication in verse 18. He says this, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. So as much as the drunk is intoxicated, you be filled with the Spirit. There's a comparison here, you see. And so he is saying here, be filled with the Spirit, much like someone might be filled with alcohol. And so there's a contrast here. 
I hope we get that straight. And there is first a commandment here. It is in the present tense. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's hard to communicate that in English, but it's continuous and it's repeated. Being filled one time is not necessarily enough. We can be filled on a daily and moment-by-moment basis. Then it's in the passive voice, and that is God does this, and so we open ourselves to His Spirit to the degree He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And then it's plural in number. You all, if he were from Georgia, he would say, y'all be filled with the Spirit. You all be filled with the Spirit. It's easier to be filled with the Spirit of God in the church context than it is in isolation. Then it's in the imperative mood, meaning it's commanded, and therefore it is a priority of the Christian. Now again, he contrasts this with intoxication. Alvin Reed wrote, If a pastor entered the pulpit intoxicated, you could tell. It would be obvious. You probably would not listen to him. However, Ephesians 5.18 tells us it is just the greatest sin to preach without the Spirit's control as it is to preach drunk. And I think we could apply that to the whole of the Christian life. And so it is a command. There is the command. Then there are some signs. There are some signs of the Spirit's filling. One sign is found in verse 19. Look what he says, and this is good news for you who can't sing. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Often when I preach or teach, I'll quote some song, and that's entirely possible. And this is a sign that you're filled with the Spirit of God. You speak spiritual songs things. Now please don't make the mistake of limiting speaking in the book of Ephesians to speaking merely within the church. Oftentimes the word speaking throughout the New Testament and even in Ephesians is used for speaking to those who don't know the Lord. And so let's keep that open as well. When we know the Lord, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we speak to one another spiritual things and we'll speak to unbelievers. And because of that, let me speak to you for just a moment. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen. They witnessed and saw Him. He made ten appearances to as few as one, to as many as 500 at one time, and He calls you to repent and believe the gospel, and you'll have the opportunity to do that after the message. So a sign that we are filled with the Spirit of God is that we will speak spiritual things and how I must urge you and encourage you to do so. I appreciate living where I live. I didn't come to Christ in the South. I came to Christ on the West Coast. But it was a joy to come to the Bible Belt when I did as a young man and to drive out in the country someplace on the way to my church and notice on a hill three crosses and to see so many churches, even in rural areas. And it was a joy to see so many Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers and ichthus fishes on the back of minivans. To walk into stores where knickknacks and accents and other home uh, items to decorate a home with would be, and they would have Bible verses on them or sayings about the Christian faith. Michelle and I recently had the opportunity to visit another part of the country outside the Bible Belt. And we went into similar stores and drove by past similar hills and found very, very few churches. I'm speaking specifically of New England. 
And when we went into stores, we didn't find Bible verses on the knickknacks and the accents. We didn't find that at all. I don't think we saw a Christian t-shirt the whole week. No Christian bumper stickers, except one, and that was from out of state. And I don't mean to criticize the state where we went, but where we, what we did find in these stores were great encouragements and apparently great affection for pets and alcohol. And I want to say to you, if you have a pet, please take care of your pet. It'd be irresponsible not to. But what is on people's heart will come out one way or the other. In the New England states, I've talked to other New Englanders since we've returned back, and the New Englanders, one day, early in American history, were considered the Bible Belt. Did you know that? The New England area happened to be ground central and the epicenter of the first great awakening which gave birth to the American nation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not true any longer. In some of the drifting I observed there, I have observed here as well. There is no guarantee that Georgia in the future will be part of the Bible Belt. Someone needs to be filled with the Spirit and speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. Or we'll lose it. Speaking is a sign. Second, seeing is a sign. Verse number 19, he said this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Back in January, our choir sang a song that has been ruminating through my mind and soul ever since. They sang it Thursday night when Fred Luter was here as well. That is a mark and sign of being filled with the Spirit of God as they were that day when they sang it. Whenever you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can't help but to burst forth in praise to Jesus Christ. That's another sign. Then the third sign, verse number 20, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ-centered thanks. Let us indeed be thankful for our family and for our health. Let us be thankful for our friends and community and our jobs. But ladies and gentlemen, let us give thanks to the Father for Jesus Christ himself and to praise his name that he has saved. And then the fourth sign that we're filled with the Spirit is verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In other words, there's a great eagerness and willingness to serve one another. So those with the most thrilling experiences Sunday are those who seek hard after God to fill them with the Spirit of God. In other words, they seek to be saturated with the Spirit of God. A.W. Tozer, though, said this. He said, those who are bored with worship are not ready for heaven. May I say to you, the Christian heart and Christian soul is absolutely thrilled that Jesus Christ receives praise night and day, unceasing and unending in the next life. To the saved soul that walks with Jesus, is filled with the Spirit, has scheduled their time appropriately, has submitted to the will of God, that soul is thrilled with worship. Boredom is not even in, in the neighborhood of that kind of worship. I think of Bobby Jindal, who gave his testimony one time about coming out of Hinduism to Jesus Christ. He was invited to a worship service on the campus of Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. 
and they showed a movie of the life of Christ, and it was rather graphic when it came to the crucifixion and death of Christ. And here's what Bobby Jindal said. He said, when I saw the actor playing Jesus being crucified, it hit me that he was on the cross because of Bobby Jindal, my sins. How arrogant for me to do anything but get on my knees and worship him. The most important moment in my life is when I found Jesus Christ. May I ask you, are you bored with worship? Are you unimpressed? Does the thought weigh on you? I want to say to you, around that throne now where saints gather near his feet, there's no boredom there. They are thrilled with him. There's no boredom with this subject. You might need to consider that maybe you've never connected with him but he sure would love for you to do so. In fact, the only way to connect with him is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, through me and through me alone. And so that's why this morning we want to offer you the opportunity to connect with God in his only way, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we repent from being bored with his glory, and his majesty. We turn that away. We're horrified at that like we would be at a cadaver on a kitchen table. We're horrified by our boredom with Jesus Christ. And we turn to him and we claim his forgiveness because of his cross and resurrection. And we plead with God to come into our lives and change us by the power of Jesus Christ. If you'll do that this morning, he will take you and he will receive you. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, to do a neat work in hearts and lives today. We pray that friends would be horrified at boredom and a lack of impression with worship, that they indeed would respond to you according to your glory and majesty in a way that is appropriate to Jesus Christ. We ask you for that now. As you keep on praying and talking to God, here's what we'll do this morning. A staff member will be standing here We're going to invite you to come meet this staff member and share your spiritual need, if you will. We want to do that first, to give you the opportunity first to come to Jesus Christ and say yes to Him. Maybe you need to come to Beach Haven because you've already come to Christ. We want you as well, or maybe there's some other need. We want to encourage you to come. After that time, I will verbally call on you, who will help us prepare for next Sunday, to meet me here at the altar, and we will have a special time of prayer in that second stage of our invitation. Let's stand quickly. Let me finish my prayer. And we're going to do that first stage of our invitation and ask you to come and give your life to Christ and follow him. Father, would you please in these moments gather everything that you desire to gather in hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.